Welcome to Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Annalise tells me it's 11.59, so it's time to get going. My name is Larry Elford. I'll be your moderator for today. Our guest speaker is here. Her name is Katie Huang. She's a newly graduated geologist uh, with uh, honors from the Geological Science of UBC. She's volunteering as an ambassador with the Canadian Geological Energy Association to bring awareness and educate Canadians about geothermal energy. And I think that's a really good thing she's doing. She hopes that her passion for geothermal energy and the environment and community can positively impact others and that advocating for geothermal energy will help inspire government, industry, and Albertans to create policies to allow such development. Quick reminder before we get started, turn off your cell phones if you could. Uh, the session is being recorded thanks to Shaw and uh, $12 in the basket for people who are dining. If you're just having coffee, it's a toonie. We welcome you either way. And to have someone at the table, each table count the proceeds to make sure we come really close to the correct amount or I have to deal with Annalise once again. And uh, with that, we'll introduce our guest speaker and uh, I'd like you to give a warm welcome to Katie Wang. Thank you. You're up, Jill. Okay, thanks, Larry. Um, hopefully you guys all got a chance to read some of that. Um, so we'll get started. Um, thanks so much for having me and for coming. I'm really excited to talk to you today about geothermal energy. Um, so I'm really glad that you're all here um, with an interest in geothermal. Um, Canada has huge geothermal potential, um, but currently we don't have a framework that permits the development of geothermal. So I think one of the biggest roadblocks in this industry is the lack of awareness, um, not so much a lack of interest, because um, with climate change and the economy, I think a lot of people are really interested in looking into renewables. So um, I think the more people who know about it and who are aware, um, the more support we have for the industry. So that's why I'm really glad you guys are all here. Um, so Larry already introduced a bit about me. I'm a geology graduate. Uh, I've been volunteering with Kangia for the past little while. Um, so Kangia is a nonprofit um, acting as the collective voice for Canada's geothermal en energy industry uh, with the focus on power generation from geothermal energy resources as well as industry-scale direct use uh, with the goal of unlocking Canada's huge geothermal potential. So today I'll just go over a little bit about what geothermal energy is, um, how we can develop it and use it for electricity production and, and direct heat use, um, and how Alberta can develop geothermal and what the next steps that we can take are. Um, before I begin, I just wanted to differentiate because sometimes um, there's a little bit of confusion between the difference between geothermal energy and geoheat exchange. Um, we do have geoheat exchange in Canada, which is a way to heat your homes, um, like heating and AC, which is different than geothermal electricity and direct heat use. So geothermal is the um, heat from the earth. And the way this heat is formed was um, two components. About 50% of the Earth's heat is from uh, the heat generated from the um, formation of the Earth. 
and about the other 50% or so is from radiogenic decay of atoms uh, within the mantle and the crust, and that's been ongoing since the Earth's formation. So um, we have ongoing heat generation beneath the crust. Um, the heat is constantly being recycled within the Earth through plate tectonics, uh, volcanism, magmatism. Uh, as you can see here, these uh, red dots here on the map are some of the hottest places on the Earth at shallow depths. As you can see, they're focused along uh, plate tectonics, a lot within the Ring of Fire, which is where the coast of Canada sits along. Um, this is not to say that we, it, we don't have heat a little bit further east from this uh, subduction zone. You just have to drill a little bit deeper. As a general rule of thumb, the deeper you drill into the earth, the hotter it gets. So this is a map. This is a map of all the um, geothermal power plants within the world. Uh, as you can see, it correlates pretty well with the subduction zones, just because of um, the heat that you can access from shallower depths. Um, this map shows that there's no geothermal energy production here in Canada, um, despite the potential that we have. And I just wanted to bring up this map just to show you the heat that we do have here in Alberta. Um, these little green triangles are all the active volcanoes here within, um, within Canada along the west coast. Uh, by active, I don't mean like they're going to explode very soon, uh, just active within a relatively recent geological time period. So that's just to say that in those areas, uh, there is a lot of heat around there. So this is a graph that's showing um, the production of geothermal around the world. Uh, as you can see, the United States is leading by far. Um, these, the green bars is the projected geothermal production in the future. Uh, so places like Philippines, Indonesia, Iceland, those are all volcanic areas, so it's quite easy to extract geothermal. Um, United States is not a volcanic island, of course, um, but they do have that subduction zone as well as the basin with, with a lot of potential for geothermal. And um, the reason I brought up this graph is because um, Canada has really similar geology to the United States and a lot of the similar potential is the United States to be developing geothermal. Um, as you can see, Canada is not on this graph because, of course, we're not producing any geothermal, but we do have the potential, so uh, really we should be up there with the United States. Um, these diagrams are just showing all the different ways, um, all the different play types for geothermal and the ways to extract it. Um, what we have in BC is mostly volcanics or hot, wet rocks. Here in Alberta, it's mostly sedimentary, um, just over here. So essentially, um, independent of the play types, what you need are three things to extract geothermal. Um, you need heat, which is the resource. You need water, um, which is the mechanism that allows for heat flow and transfer. And you need some sort of um, permeability uh, for the flow of the water. So there needs to be a good balance between all three of this to bring up the correct amount of heat, transfer the heat to create power or direct heat use. Uh, what we have in Alberta is pretty unique in that in the oil and gas fields, in a conventional field, we have hot sedimentary aquifers that sit, tend to sit just below the oil and gas pools. Um, this is really good for us because we have that heat from the aquifer, we have the water, that we can extract straight from there. Um, and we have the flow rate based on the permeability of the, um, of the basin. 
So this is just a map that's showing all the different um, reservoirs that we have here in Canada. So BC and Yukon is mostly hot sedimentary basins and really hot rocks. So that's where the highest potential would be because you'd be getting a, a, the hottest um, water and highest electricity consumption. Here in Alberta, we have mostly warm sedimentary basins and cool sedimentary basins. Um, this means the water isn't as high temperature and you wouldn't be getting as high electricity production, um, which is not to say that we can't be developing geothermal here in Alberta because we do have a lot of potential and um, the warm sedimentary basins are warm enough to be able to be producing. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that is called the organic ranking cycle. Uh, we use this in geothermal for uh, liquids that are below about 150 degrees Celsius, and you can create electricity for uh, fluids as low as 80 degrees Celsius. Um, so what happens is the hot water is pulled up like in a regular um, cycle, and this water at a lower temperature is not hot enough to power a turbine. So what happens is in a closed system, um, it's connected, or it interacts with this binary fluid, which has a lower boiling point. So it transfers the heat to the binary fluid, which allows that to boil and run the turbine and uh, generate electricity. And then the cooler fluid is recycled down, and the cooler hot water is recycled back down into the source rock and reheated. So this is a, um, a great resource that we could be using here in Alberta to be creating electricity within our warm sedimentary basins. Um, another option that we have other than electricity is geothermal direct use. So this is just taking the heat and using it in certain ways, such as heating houses. Uh, we could be using it for agriculture or greenhouses, um, appliances like cooking. Um, what they have in Iceland that's very unique is they use it um, to melt snow off the sidewalks and the streets. Um, so the hottest temperatures can be used for electricity production, and then as the uh, water cools a little bit, you can be using it for other uses, and we call that cascading heat. Um, so this is just a graph showing all of the ways that geothermal can be used, which could be potentially replace um, oil and gas usage. So now that we know that Alberta has potential for geothermal, uh, what most people want to know is, is this economically viable? Is it a profitable resource? Um, and I think one of the things that deters most investors is um, the high upfront cost of geothermal. And they find it riskier than uh, natural gas or other renewables. Um, and that's why I think it's important to look at this levelized cost of energy, which is essentially just the projected cost um, it's the sum of the cost from maintenance and building it over the amount of money that it's going to be making. And they do that over the lifetime of the plant, so 30 years. Um, so these red, these red dots here, that's the average. And then the green bars are the range. So um, as you can see, geothermal falls just below natural gas. Um, and the reason that balances out is because it has the high upfront costs. Um, but there's no fuel cost during the approximate 30 years running life of the plant. Um, so that's why that cost levels out over the 30 years. Um, so the advantage that geothermal has over natural gas, of course, mainly is that um, it has no fossil fuel emissions. And then comparing it to solar or wind, which, is, which are other great um, renewable options, it is cheaper over its lifespan. 
Um, as well, geothermal is more reliable. It's a baseload power source. Um, it runs every day, 24-7, doesn't depend on the weather or um, conditions. So um, even though we don't have a regulatory framework here in Canada, there are projects being developed, kind of waiting for that framework. Um, so what we have in Saskatchewan uh, is working pretty similar to what we have here in Alberta with um, extracting heat from the hot sedimentary aquifer. And that's with deep, deep earth energy production. Um, and they're projecting about five megawatts net power for that power plant um, when they get it developed. Um, also, the company Borealis Geopower, um, they're working in the town of Valemont in BC, which is a mountain town. Um, so uh, their goal is essentially to create a geothermal city um, as support for the residents as well as for tourism. So um, they'd be providing hot springs, direct heat use, um, greenhouses, and they are supporting a local brewery, so that brewery will be um, making beer from geothermal, which is pretty cool. Um, they have a hot springs out in Yukon. Um, if you recall that map I showed, Yukon has hot, um, a lot of hot geothermal. Um, now hot springs aren't very hot water, about 35 degrees Celsius, but um, hot springs are more just a superficial expression of the potential that we have if we drill deeper. So um, it's pretty cool that we have that there in the Yukon. Um, and Eposh Energy is partnering with Hinton in Alberta. Um, that's a mountain town, and there's a lot of potential for geothermal in those towns along the mountain belt because, um, because of the uh, heat at lower depths and as well proximity to consumers. Um, so their goal is to heat public buildings using geothermal as direct heat use. So I want to talk now a bit about what we have specifically here in Alberta. And um, we have a really great opportunity here because of our highly developed um, oil and gas industry, of course. And... Um, one of the main things that we have here is our huge, um, highly talented workforce um, specialized in oil and gas and wells. Um, now, as you know, the economy has really affected most people in Alberta. Um, unemployment rates are really high. Um, the reason that geothermal could be beneficial is because uh, drilling for hot water is essentially the same as drilling for oil and gas. So those are really similar skill sets that can be utilized if geothermal is brought to Canada. Um, as well, converting an abandoned or orphan well uh, requires very similar skill sets to um, finishing or constructing an oil and gas well. Um, now, another issue that we have here is uh, the rising number of orphan wells. Now, an orphan well is any sort of um, well or pipeline or site that needs to be abandoned but has yet to be abandoned. Um, this could be for several reasons. Either the well is not uh, viable to be bringing up oil anymore, it's bringing up salt water, or has eroded well casings and can't be utilized anymore. Um, in other cases, there's nothing wrong with the well. The company just can't afford to be drilling for oil anymore and producing it. Um, in this case, some of the orphan wells um, do have the potential to be converted to geothermal or have a geothermal component added onto it. There's about 12 or 1,300 orphan wells in Alberta right now. 
And um, the reason this is an issue with the rising number of orphan wells is because abandonment costs are really high, um, whether you're just filling it with concrete or you have to um, remediate the site removing all those service roads does get very costly. And um, a lot of the times, since the oil price is so low and a company can't afford to drill anymore, um, they can't really afford to abandon the well, and a lot of these junior companies are going bankrupt because of the uh, high number of orphan wells. So an option that we have here, um, if we were to produce geothermal, is to repurpose an inactive well, if it has um, the correct means to be producing geothermal. Um, so if a, if a well is pulling up hot water or if the bottom hole temperature is hot enough to be producing geothermal, um, it can be converted and um, just this this diagram here is showing one of the ways that can be done. Um, it's just a heat exchange in a single well. It's just uh, essentially an insulating tubing string that's put down into the well. Um, if there's already hot fluid being produced, you can bring that up, extract the hot fluid, and then have either a heat exchanger or um, a binary cycle on top to be producing energy or heat. Um, and then you can re-inject that fluid back down to create, uh, collect heat again and bring it back up. Um, this is a great option because, um, let's say a company can't afford to drill for oil and gas anymore, but they don't, they can't afford to abandon the well. If they add a geothermal component on it, they can be, um, producing heat. They could sell that heat. Uh, they could sell it electricity to the grid. Uh, if they have other wells within the site, they can cut down on fuel costs by heating their buildings with this geothermal instead of, um, using oil and gas. Another option that we have is they can be using it for greenhouses. Um, you just put a greenhouse close to the well and use that to heat it up. Another option is if the um, if the well is currently bringing is currently developing uh, oil and gas. A lot of these wells are also bringing up uh, hot water as a binary product, and. Um, as the time goes on, just as the reservoir gets depleted, uh, the water naturally rises up, fills that reservoir, and is being pulled up with the oil. Now, oil and gas companies spend a lot of money getting rid of this water, um, but the water is really hot. And as we know from geothermal, um, heat equals energy. So they could be extracting the heat from that water before getting rid of it, and um, they could be making money from that heat, either by direct use or electricity. Um, so this picture here on the left is a picture of um, two separate wells. They are portable. Um, they're being used in North Dakota right now in the United States, um, and they're being used for co-production. So this is just a project that's being successful, it's being utilized right now. Um, what they are is horizontal wells, and um, they're, they're uh, drilling for oil and gas. So in this area, they'll be fracking. So they send the water in to frack. Um, at that depth, it's quite hot, so the water does get heated up, and they bring it back up and run it through these, um, they run it through these units, and that way they can produce electricity and then send the water back down. So it's just a really efficient way, instead of just um, using water for fracking and not utilizing the heat that it's collecting, um, each of these units produces about 125 kilowatts each. Uh, so with Canada, we're to be co-producing within a lot of these wells that are bringing up a lot of water, this would be a great option for us. 
Uh, these images on the left here are a greenhouse. Um, there's a lot of geothermal in Germany. Uh, as you can see, it's a really big greenhouse uh, and that's being powered by geothermal. Um, so this is a great option because there's no fossil fuel emissions. It's com uh, heated completely by um, geothermal. So um, if we were to utilize geothermal for greenhouses, it would really secure Alberta's um, food and create a lot of jobs in agriculture. Um, in agriculture. Um, another option we have to harness geothermal is in in-situ oil sands. So in a bitumen reservoir, um, a lot of steam is um, put into the ground to melt that bitumen before extraction. And um, over the lifetime of that reservoir, enough steam is heated up to heat the reservoir from approximately 10 degrees Celsius. And at the end of its life, it's around 200 degrees Celsius. Um, of course, a lot of that heat is extracted by the bitumen and lost to the reservoir. But um, as the company, as the end life of the reservoir, the company leaves and they just leave the hot reservoir there with all of this um, energy and heat potential in it. So another option that Alberta has for in-situ oil sands is to collect that heat that they've already inserted into the reservoir and basically just get back some of the heat that they put into it to um, create electricity and they could potentially profit from it or power some of their buildings. Um, so just a few other heating, um, heating uses that we could be using it for other than greenhouses, um, direct or commercial uses, um, ecotourism, hot springs, um, and we can be using many different applications just for one, one well. Um, another advantage that converting inactive wells has is that um, by 2020, regulations to cut methane leads will take into effect. Um, now, just because a well is abandoned or suspended doesn't mean that it ha uh, can't have a methane leak. So by adding a geothermal component on there and producing geothermal from there, um, the well would be observed and watched, and therefore, um, if there was a methane leaked, it would be reported. So that's another way we can um, reduce the number of methane leaks. So just kind of in summary, um, Converting or co-producing with uh, abandoned wells in Alberta could um, reduce the number of orphan wells or help with the problem of increasing numbers in Alberta here. Um, and that could end up help, helping save a lot of companies, especially smaller junior ones who can't afford to abandon their wells. Um, it could also cut down on fuel costs and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So right now with our economy, it's, it's been really hard for a lot of people. Um, a lot of increase in unemployment, but I think that this, this is a great opportunity to start investing in geothermal. Um, a lot of people right now, um, especially coming into the second year of this recession and economic downturn, people are starting to look into other ways that they can uh, work in the energy industry and how they can use their skill set. And I think geothermal is a really great opportunity. Um, if we were to develop geothermal here in Canada, we could uh, employ thousands of skilled workers in the field, um, as well as uh, help with the abandoned well issue. Um, 
as well, of course, it would be really great for our environment. Um, uh, geothermal has very little fuel costs, fuel emissions. Um, it's clean and it's renewable. As well, would help with our um, with our climate change initiatives with the coal phase out and the government's decision to be more re uh, reliable uh, renewable energy. Um, so. I hope that you've gained something here, um, maybe learned a little bit more about geothermal and its potential. Um, so if you think that this is something that Alberta and Canada should, um, should invest in, I invite you to um, try to take action and um, you could join Kenjia to get more information. Um, Kenjia has a Pow Earthful letter which just sends a letter to your MP saying that this is something that you want, you want to start making a change. Um, you know, I think the government talks a lot about climate change and taking action, but um, we really need everybody to step up to try to make this happen. Um, like I said, one of the biggest hurdles in geothermal is lack of awareness. Um, so I encourage you to talk about it, do your own research, um, try to get other people to discuss why, why this isn't happening yet, why we haven't shifted over. Um, you know, we could just start with a small change, converting inactive wells using direct heat usage, um, start phasing out coal and using geothermal as direct heat and electricity to replace some oil and gas. Um, so thank you all for listening. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, I do want to say that I am still learning, but I will try to answer any questions as best as I can. <laughs>